Austin, do you remember how long it took me to find a podcast platform for us? Forever. I ended up finding one called Anchor, and I initially chose it just because it was free. But it also has a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. They also distributed for us, so that's why we ended up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all of our other places. And you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Everything you need to make a podcast in just one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, everybody. This is Maddie. Uh, This is Austin. We are, will this be on the test? We are kind of in a weird place because the microphone just fell over and we had to start over. And my brain is not fully working. So this is going to be a fun one because I'm a little (laughs) bit loopy already. This podcast, it's about the things that we either didn't learn entirely in school or didn't learn at all, but we should have. Either because they were just too strange, too against what a teacher could get away with teaching in a conservative state like the one we're from or or even a more liberal state because we have we cover a lot of things that are more violent or salacious that are still important to history but could honestly cause too many headaches for the teachers the schools things like that Mm -hmm. we love teachers i used to be one yep i love teachers i'm married to one i'm sorry everyone has their burdens (laughs) we record At least we're currently recording about three weeks ahead. We have been working really hard to get this posted. So when you hear this, you're hearing it about three weeks in the future from when we're recording. We might be talking about old news, basically. So my old news for today. So they... I'm saying my so's and my ums. So... (laughs) So you're so... Damn it, I did it too. They just said that they are not just pulling Friends from Netflix, but they're pulling Parks and Rec and The Office and other shows like that from all major streaming services. Uh. And they're taking them to the own individual network streaming services. We've already done that with CBS, Disney. It was awful. CBS is worthless. See, I like a lot of CBS shows, but I can't justify... Okay, now that that, uh, Big Bang Theory is off of CBS, what else on CBS would you want to watch? Well, we don't have TV, so I don't know. Oh, Evil. Evil's going to be on CBS. Evil is... Evil already is on CBS. So that starts on the 27th, I think, and I'm really excited about it. But the only reason I know is because they've been previewing in movie theaters. Yeah. But I've got that written down for us to remember. So hopefully we will actually turn on our local access television or whatever it um, is. We are those goddamn millennials killing cable television, and we have an antenna so we can watch broadcast. (laughs) Yeah, I just can't justify having already Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime and then adding an additional five to ten bucks a month for individual networks. Yeah, that's no. Although I am kind of considering getting the Disney one because I really want to see what happens with Lizzie McGuire now that she's all grown up. Wait, so this is going to be like Lizzie McGuire, but like her kid finds this notebook and then this animated like mom comes out and is a kid and is all like early 2000s and annoying. I don't think that she would have a kid old enough for this to make sense because uh, Hilary Duff is our age or a little younger. Ooh, and dude. when they did the movie, I think she was supposed to be a senior in high school. For her to have a kid that's the same age as Lizzie, she would have had to have the kid before she turned 20. And mm-hmm. that's not a Disney Channel move very often. That's kind of where we are. We feel like this might be a trick to get everybody to resubscribe to cable to get the millennials to fix the problem that we solved. Yep. But you can pry my Netflix and Hulu out of my cold dead hands because of shows like Mindhunter. 
Oh my god, Mindhunter is so good. And Stranger Things. Although I highly recommend looking up pictures of what the actual people from Mindhunter looked like because it is wildly inaccurate. Okay, remember when um, I was shaving and I was just down to the mustache? Yes. And I looked exactly like Ed Kemper? Oh god, yes. Don't do a mustache, kids. All right, so let's actually get into the show because we've been rambling on and making very little sense for four minutes and nine seconds. Uh, Ten seconds now. Eleven. We'll stop. We'll stop. So we each cover a topic for the episode. We don't share our topics ahead of time other than maybe just saying I'm studying this person or this era so that we can actually be surprised Mm -hmm. and ask questions. I believe the only thing I've told you about mine is, dude, there are pictures. Yes, and I was very confused because he texted that to me with no frame of reference. Yep. Today, I am talking about, I wrote down the pronunciation, but unfortunately I did it in the middle. <laughs> the first time I say it. We are professionals. We are in no way historians as well, so I apologize. So I'm just going to ramble while you look for that. I'm going to talk about all of the things that happened there during... It is. I also apologize because I don't speak Greek. Today I'm talking to you about the nomakiai or nomakie. I have no idea what you're talking about. I am so excited. So for the last several years when I taught Roman theater in my history classes or my theater history, my students would talk about how they learned about the Colosseum's naval battles. I smiled and nodded because I had zero idea what they were talking about. Now it's worth noting, I have an advanced degree related to theater. I learned about Roman theater more than most, more than anybody with a normal K through 12 education anyway. Never once had I heard about the Nomakie, even though they are actually directly relevant to theater. And it even relates to a lot of other things that the Romans did. So what does that translate to, Nomakie? Nomakie is the Greek word for naval battles. Oh, okay. I should have used context clues there. (laughs) Greek is great like that because it tends to be very directly translated. We only talked about the Colosseum really briefly in school, even during Roman history. We Mm -hmm. talked more about architecture and major figures, which are, of course, important. It's like, look at the arches. They invented the arch. And we talked about gladiator battles, things like that. Mm -hmm. Are you not entertained? And in college, I learned how the Colosseum and similar places were used for theatrical productions, Largely, along with the shape of the amphitheater, they stole from the Greeks. But unlike in the Greeks, the Romans actually killed people on stage. Wow. Mostly prisoners who were sentenced to death anyway, which was everywhere. But naval battles, this place is inland. This is not on the ocean. This is not even on a river. It was on a man-made pond or lake. But how can these be real? How could they possibly have held naval battles in the Colosseum? Well, there's no physical evidence, really, but enough writers from the time have written about them that there's no doubt that they occurred. I originally wrote down all of my sources I cited, but there's a lot of them because this is a really, really in-depth topic with lots of conflicting information. Some people will say that the Colosseum wasn't built for this until after the first event, while others, including an expert I'll talk about, uh, say it was fine. Some say there were only three to four events in totals. Others say there were at least 12. And this includes events that were Nomakiai that weren't in the Colosseum. No one seems to argue that these never happened, though, except for Atlas Obscura just a little bit, simply because it's so unbelievable that it seems like it could be impossible. But if there's one thing we've learned from the Romans, it's that 
anything can happen if you put your mind and your sword to it. Yep. It's like, if you've got a million slaves doing something, there's no thing you can't do. You might hear me talk about some things that don't go together, or they completely contradict each other. Or if you're just knowledgeable about Roman times, you may hear things about this that lie outside of what you've heard. I'm not an expert, and even actual experts disagree, so don't at me. According to an article from Smithsonian Magazine, an expert from the German Archaeological Institute in Rome named Heinz-Jürgen Best, or Beste, not sure, don't speak German either. Wow, you just picked the best thing for this. I'm so good at all the languages. Yeah. As of 2011, he had spent 14 years just trying to figure out how the Hypatium, which is Greek for underground. A cool side note about him is that in order to test his ideas, he built three scale models of the Colosseum. And this is a quote from him. We made them using the same materials children use in kindergarten. Toothpicks, cardboard, paste, tracing papers. But our measurements were precise. And this ultimately proved that all of his ideas about how the lifts and other systems worked. Cool. So kids, when you are building those toothpick bridges and stuff in school, remember this could turn into a major career in archaeology later. You could make major discoveries by building tiny little models out of toothpicks. I made one of those bridges... And I feel like it would have won, but we turned it over just before the glue dried and the whole thing broke in half. Oh, no. It was the worst day ever, except for every other day. Architecture career died on the spot. It did. Sixth grade was rough, man. So many architects drop out in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. So when he was studying all of this, he found 28 small platforms, which were around three by three feet along the outside edges of the arena. And they included cables, ramps, hoists, counterweights. These were largely used for scenery, and cool fact, this is the same way we move scenery in theatrical productions today, because if it's not broke, don't fix it. And it was built in a similar manner to a ship, so all the space it needed for pulleys and other things allowed the system to work, but it could also be taken apart and stored away. Another fun fact. During parts of history, unemployed sailors were used as stagehands. That explains all the swearing. (laughs) They understood the pulley and counterweight systems already, so when they didn't have work on a ship, they would work backstage, and they could also communicate really well in silence. Ooh. I might do something on theater, mythology, superstitions another time. On those 28 platforms, the three by three, you looked like you were going to say Oh, so I was, I was just like, you're talking about the sailors and actors, crazy superstitious. Yeah, it's kind of a weird... Uh, guys, we're getting way off track here. Yeah. I could talk, I could have a theater history podcast all by myself, but it would mostly result in me talking and Austin staring at me with his mouth open. Hello, darkness, my old friend starts playing in my head. The sound of silence. So on those platforms, he found evidence of water runoff, which he theorizes means these were part of a drainage system. Other people think it was just rainwater. He thinks that these were used to drain the water, which was brought in initially from a nearby aqueduct. He also thinks that he knows how the place was able to be flooded and have the water stay inside. Stagehands, because that's what I'm going to call them, took out the floor of the arena and the wooden supports underneath it, which was enough to allow three to five feet of water on the arena floor. There are other people who say that the wooden part of the floor wasn't built for decades after this. It's kind of one of those... One of those things that nobody really knows because no one was there and none of the writers of the time thought it was important enough to write down. Before we get to the Colosseum, it's important to know that there was a history of these battles held on open water. This was not just one day, oh wait, let's put this inside. 
These were cheaper and easier than the later indoor battles, but harder for spectators to watch. I mean, of course, not everyone has a pleasure barge to go out and watch the mock naval battle. Oh, they didn't use a pleasure barge. Like other Roman spectacles, these were fights to the death, mm-hmm. largely involving prisoners. Yep. The battles, as I said, were called nomachiae. The first one, shockingly, is tied to Julius Caesar. Who, again, though, when I was in K-12, I learned about him only in language arts class in relation to the Shakespeare play. Julius Caesar did some shit. Yeah, that's kind of what I gather. This whole event was to celebrate his defeat of Pompey the Great, and it involved a great deal of the events we typically associate with Roman entertainment, like munus, which are gladiator battles, and all kinds of debauchery in the streets. Yep. And they even showed off a giraffe that they'd gotten from somewhere, but they called it a cam leopard. Because it looked like a camel had a baby with a leopard, which isn't wrong, except for the long neck. (laughs) But that's what weird breeding will do, I guess. The crowds numbered in the thousands. People even died out in the streets, including two senators, just because the partying got so hard. And people were sleeping in the streets so that they could get good seats at all of this. That's awesome. So this is like Coachella, but in 32 AD. 46. 46. Oh, I was close. 46 BCE, yeah. For this... Caesar had a basin near the river Tiber Mm -hmm. excavated, and this was to recount the military battle that involved Egypt for sure, but I saw equal numbers of reports say the other one was Gaul or Tyre. Tyr. Tyr, which I did look up and they don't seem to be the same place. Caesar conquered a lot of places. So there are conflicting reports, but remember, this is 46 BCE, so... There was almost no one there who recorded it. In fact, we don't get our first first-hand recording until it comes up in the Colosseum. The total number of people who were involved with the battle on the ships and the rowers seems to be around 6,000. But there are conflicting reports about how many were ro- rowers and how many were actual participants. Now, it sounds like it would just be chaos. 6,000 people, but it was all completely choreographed. Each person out there knew who was going to live and who was going to die and had to do it anyway. Wow. That's the Romans for you. The Greeks didn't even kill people on stage. If a character died, they went off stage and someone else came in and said, oh, I am so sad. My brother is dead. (laughs) Because they felt that people were not going to be able to emotionally handle it. While the Romans were like, kill them all. They won't believe it unless they see it. That's a whole other thing. This and Shakespeare are my favorite topics to teach. I'm excited to talk about Shakespeare sometime. So let's fast forward. A better and more more recorded Numachiae occurred when Emperor Augustus did, a, did it as well. He had a basin built in the same area, most likely the Trastevere or Campus Martius, with around 3,000 people and 30 ships. The ships involved, and they only had one answer for this, represented the Athenian and Persian fleets. I saw no other cities or states or countries or whatever. So this was like an ancient history one. Yeah. Like, all even of- for them. Yeah. Augustus said that the basin measured 1,800 by 1,200 Roman feet, which are slightly smaller than feet we use today. Merca. And doesn't even translate perfectly into the metric system because measurements don't make sense. Austin's friend, Pliny the Elder. Yay, Pliny! He didn't just talk about horrifying cures for diseases or impulses. Let's go, let's see impulses. Yeah, let's just, didn't just talk about crazy shit he heard in bars. In his natural history, which was, what, 37? 37 volumes. He also described this battle. He stated that they had created an island in the middle of the river with a bridge leading to it 
where they think important people sat to watch. That's so much better than a pleasure barge. And this is something that got replicated through the rest of theater history. People in Shakespeare's time would sit behind the stage to be seen. Later times, you know, those boxes that are kind of facing in an inconvenient way, those uh-huh. people could be seen watching the shows. There were even times people sat on the stage to be watched while they watched. <laughs> and that is what Augustus did, is he wanted to sit and be watched and have the crowd driven kind of by his reactions. For this battle, 30 ships were completely able to maneuver around. However, knowing how many people it took to move the ships versus how many people were on top, the focus was on the bloodshed rather than the movement of the ships, which sounds way cooler to me, but I also don't want to see people die in front of me like that. And then there were a lot more battles before the first one held in the Colosseum, including the largest known one, which was put on in a lake by Claudius in 52 CE. So before this, we were in BCE, before Common Era. Now we're in CE, Common Era. There's this long-held belief that gladiators looked at the emperor before battles and said, we who are about to die salute you. Mm -hmm. Have you heard that? Uh, It's like nolimus morte something, something. Something like that. But that's traditionally attributed to gladiators in general. Mm -hmm. In fact, this battle in front of Claudius is the only time we know this happened. And it was in an attempt to have the event canceled and save their lives. Them looking at him and saying, we're about to die, but look how much respect we have for you, was their emotional plea towards Claudius, who shockingly was not cool with it. And he was like, no, fight anyway. He basically said, big deal, you're going to kill each other. like, I have spent a lot of money on this birthday party, I'm assuming. (laughs) There were 19,000 soldiers for this one. Good night! And they refused to fight. And then when they finally agreed to, because Claudius was like, or else, they kind of rode past each other back and forth and barely hurt each other. Except he finally convinced them by saying that anybody who survives will get clemency. You are no longer on death row if you survive. So most of them died. (laughs) Because they were like, oh, shit, I get to be free now. I don't have to die anymore. I'm going to kill everybody around me. This is the only recorded instance of both a refusal to fight and a reprieve of the winners. And it sounds like he did follow through. Anybody who lived, which I'm guessing was that one dude from 500 or whatever. It's like the Hunger Games. Yeah, this was the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games are just Roman times. And think about... Spoiler alert, if you haven't read or seen Hunger Games, this is like when they flood the place and they have the island in the middle that they all have to fight on because they did later turn it into something they fought on. Man, she knew what she was talking about. Yeah, and plus everyone in the Hunger Games was named after Greek and Roman characters anyway. Then we get into the indoor battles. One of the earliest, if not the earliest, was staged by Nero. He built a wooden amphitheater, and his little show included seals, hippos, and other water-loving animals. Nobody knows what happened to them once it was drained. Wait, hippos? Those things are murder machines! Which works really well when you're having people battle to the death. But there was also seals! Like, Mm -hmm. those were, like, ocean dogs! Yeah. That is the Labrador of the sea! Yeah, no, this, this is the Greek. They're the Romans. It gets worse. Oh. About 80 years later, the first Numachiae was held at the Colosseum. Again, there's not a ton of information about this particular event. We just know what happened. Marcus Valerius Martialis, better known as Marshall, wrote about the topic in his work Liber Spectacularium. Spectacularum. And the Book of Spectacularness? I don't know. I took I took four years of Latin, and this is what I learned how to mispronounce <laughs> and translate poorly. 
Hey, there's one Spanish word coming up, and I'm really excited about it. Yay! His is considered a first-hand account. He was almost definitely there, because he would have been about 45 years old at the time. He stated that not only was there this battle, but there were also chariots running through the water, which, of course, looks really cool, the water going up everywhere, and an exhibition of the god Nereus, the father of the Nereids. Water nymphs. He took four years of Latin. I was expecting him to save me. Oh, no. In fine Roman tradition, I will not save you. You will not get clemency. See, though, when we got married, you promised me a lot of things. And one of the things I slipped into the contract was anytime I had to pronounce something in Latin, you would help me. Or I get to kick you in the shins. Is that why you've been kicking me in the shins this entire podcast? Yeah, you should see the tears in his eyes. I'm just like like Jessica Chastain in It Chapter 2. I've got the single tear on my face at all times. So it's unclear if this little show happened simultaneously with the battle, but they are probably separate. There was likely a pantomime that showed this story, and then there was the separate battle. The story was the god Nereus. Uh, preparing for the battle and being surprised that he needed to walk on the water instead of swimming. Now, historian Cassius Dio recorded similar things, but he lived a lot later and is probably not very reliable, kind of like Pliny the Elder writing about things he heard in bars. Yep. He was just, oh yeah, I'm going to read this book by Marshall and say I know this for realsies. Which kind of makes you question a lot of history, too, though. Oh, so there's so much unreliable history, and it's so fun learning the bullshit we le- we heard just because. What they got? They got people with dog heads. Yep, that sounds like foreigners. Oh, that was something you were talking about. Yeah, in Pliny the Elder. Right, like, right. I got like, there's entire countries of people who had do- dogs for heads. It's really interesting relearning any history as an adult because you start to see how many seemingly reliable sources became unreliable over time and it was the best knowledge we had at the time then we uncovered that's yeah i could get very excited about it so it's believed the numachia was part of the opening ceremony of the Colosseum. emperor titus flooded the place and he had flat bottom ships made to accommodate the water it was only three to five feet deep the water was brought in and drained back out into an artificial lake that was built by nero nearby it's believed that the ships were scale replicas so they could fit in there but they weren't the full size because then it was like one ship this one involved about three thousand fighters and again we've got some conflicting reports it was either the battle between athens and syracuse which sounds like some kind of college basketball i think that is an actual college basketball rivalry i agree so this one seems a little more realistic the cossarians and the corinthians there was a whole website that was like somebody's dissertation over this, and even they weren't sure on everything. And I have maybe two hours to research every week. Yeah. Enjoy your incorrect history. That's the result of us trying to fix history. <laughs> this one also had that island built in the middle, but this one was for the sailors to get off the boats and kill each other, which goes back to the Hunger Games thing when they flood the arena, and then they're like, die, everybody. Die, Dr. Nick. What? Oh, sorry. It was a Simpsons quote. He goes, hi, everybody. Hi, hi, doctor. Never mind. Some sources believe that this was the only battle like this in the Colosseum. But others think that there were more, including one held by Titus's brother Domitian. Domitian. 
he sounds like a major figure. I feel like you should know this one. Mm-hmm. About five years later, Titus died suddenly. Then his brother took over. And about five year, four years after his brother's death, he held another one in the Colosseum. And then he went on to hold more of them, but near the Tiber. According to Dio, who again was the guy who lived a long time after all of this, his battle in the Colosseum ended in the deaths of all or nearly all of the combatants and many of the audience members. Ooh. Because there was an electrical rainstorm situation. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. It gets worse. (laughs) They died because while he sat there and had people put additional cloaks on him, he would not let anybody else put on additional clothing, change their clothing, or leave. So if they didn't die there, they died of illness in the following weeks. Because even though we know, you know, being wet doesn't cause you to catch a cold or pneumonia, it can mess with your internal mechanisms enough that your immune system starts to suck. Basically, he killed not just a lot of prisoners, but his audience as well, just because he liked to show that power over them. Zeus had something to say in this. He was like, enough with these. Wrong history. Oh, sorry, Jupiter had enough of this. Are that's, you happy? That's another thing I love is that they literally just stole the Greek gods <laughs> they, and renamed them. I know. Like there's even Heracles and Hercules. And, mm-hmm. like, come on, guys, try. <laughs> it's like I mean, the Romans just stole everything. They were so good at stealing things. I know it's fascinating. That's actually one of the ways I was able to draw my students in. Was talking about how. We just finished the Greeks, which were, of course, amazing, and talking about how these guys came in, told them their civilization was bad and backwards and wrong and imprisoned and killed them and then said, and now it's mine, but we're going to take the credit and not give any to you. Yeah. And we're going to make it super violent. So enjoy watching everybody die. The last recorded Numakie from the Roman times occurred in the 3rd century when everything was falling apart anyway, and these were expensive, expensive things, and also no one cared. Now, here's a cool thing, though. They were revived a thousand years later. What? King Philip V enjoyed watching flotilla, which is Spanish for fleet. My Spanish word! <laughs> Act out man- military maneuvers on a lake in Madrid. Another was held in 1755 in Valencia to celebrate a saint being canonized from that city. And in the early 1800s, Sadler Wells Theater in London held an event where they also acted out battles. Sadler Wells still exists, but it's a different building. They're largely a dance theater now. None of these involved actual fights to the death. I'm disappointed. There are very few times throughout history where theater has involved killing people on purpose. There are a lot more times throughout history where we've killed people as entertainment. I mean, Civil War battles had audiences, families sitting out there with picnic baskets. Not something I learned in school either. I I actually learned that in school. It was like these early battles, people were riding the trains out with soldiers and like, oh, this is going to be such a wonderful battle. And they brought picnics and even northern southern soldiers shared the same trains. What's amazing to me, too, is... Okay, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe only one civilian was killed during the Civil War, and it was a woman in her house. That might actually... I have no idea if that's true or not. I think I've heard that same thing. I went to Gettysburg when I was 12, 13, and I remember going into her house and seeing the bullet hole. And I think they said that, but I could be very wrong, because that's not what I've studied for today. There's a lot about the Civil War that I mislearned. 
Some of it very much to the detriment of the other students around me and myself. Thankfully, some of it I immediately didn't believe because it was horribly biased. But some of it you didn't, you didn't know to not believe it. Anyway, that is the story of the Numakiae. That was fun. I know. I wish there. I wish I could give a much clearer, straightforward report on this, but there just isn't one. And I never once heard about this in my K through twelve or my college or my graduate school education, which talked about Roman theater. And this is a form of Roman theater. Because I heard they even have naval battles in the Colosseum, and that was it. There was like no details about any of it. Yeah, and if they mention it, I'm sure I just envisioned some kind of puppet show or people walking in formation like they were on the ships. Never once should I imagine that they flooded the Colosseum and put big boats in there and had people fight to the death in a fully choreographed way. Now, there are times where people have choreographed thousands of people at once, and it looks amazing, but typically they don't say, all right, so you guys in blue shirts, you are all going to get stabbed in the face, and you don't get a choice in this. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't agree to the dance, then. That would be the worst flash mob ever. (laughs) So, okay, we're all going to show up, we're going to wear red shirts, and then when the music starts, we stab everyone in a blue (laughs) shirt. It makes you wonder, is this an advertisement for something or is this a marriage proposal? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> hey, I know at least six people died during my marriage proposal. The one that you did to get me to stop complaining? Did it work? No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was not to get me to stop complaining about us not being engaged. We'd also We'd already agreed on that. Yeah. This is kind of a formality. I was complaining about something else entirely, and he says to me, will you marry me? And I looked at him and said, not with that ring, I won't. <laughs> I picked out the ring, but it was it had arrived three sizes too small. And then I said, wait, are you serious right now? And he said, yes. And I said, fine, but we have to get the ring resized. <laughs> I thought we were going to lie about this and make it cute and adorable. It is all... I think this is very us. We've been friends. We've been friends since we were the age where we should have been learning this stuff. You were even in the smart kid classes. You should have learned this stuff. So we've gone off on another tangent. Oh, I did not put my phone on silent. Shame. Hey, at least I had it off every other time before now. We always end our sessions after going on our... Today today we're being ridiculous. Our... our, We are off our game in terms of our likes and ums. You guys could probably have turned that into a drinking game by now. But hey, we're super good about, like, editing those. Um, so. <laughs> we? You. I hey, um, I'm the Roman Empire in this situation. I'm just going to swoop in and take all the credit. Also, I'm brand new to editing, guys. I'm really sorry if your ears get hurt at some point. But at least I figured out to put a blanket behind us while we record. We've got two episodes that are almost unhearable that may or may not be released at any point. You might get them because we were adorable and awesome. We weren't. (laughs) We always ask questions, not for the answers, but just to see whether or not they'd be on the test. So these are your questions. Will your boy Plenty the Elder ever show up on a test? Someday. I'm sure, like, about, like, he was good at mineral stuff because they actually knew what they were doing and he couldn't just make things up. Will Claudius granting mercy to the winners be on a test? Yes. Will the fact that they started killing each other after they learned that be on the test? No. (laughs) So 
if we're talking about Julius Caesar on a test. Oh, yeah. Will this be important enough to be included on that test about him? Probably not, because it was a big old party. Yeah, we don't tend to talk about the ragers that the Greeks and the Romans had. The Greeks, guys, one of these days I will talk about their partying. Okay, in like the researching I've done, no one in Europe partied harder than the French through the Middle Ages. How is France still alive? <laughs> Wait till you hear about the Greeks sometime. Oh. And then, would you have to spell Numakie on the test? You would, and I would fail. Spelling was always my thing. I'm very good at the... Not good at remembering the word for pneumatic, pneumatic devices. Pneum- I'm very good at pneumatic <laughs> devices. Like anything that's gas operated, I got down. I cannot spell for shit. And if it was not for spell check, I would be an illegible mess. Just unintelligible nonsense. I am still bitter about getting out on my seventh grade spelling bee. I know I spelled it correctly. The word was separate. I know I spelled it correctly. My teacher asked me to repeat myself. I did, and she says, oh, you spelled it differently the first time it had me sit down. And then two people later, she had them repeat it, and she goes, oh, I just misheard you the first time. Got into my car with my dad, and I was so mad, and he had me spell it for him, and then he got mad. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that is the Numakie. Austin has a whole other story for us. Mine is also kind of a naval thing. Okay. It involves boats, but real boats. That did ocean things. Boats, boats, boats. Boats, boats, boats. So I'm going to talk about some Arctic exploration and the Franklin Expedition. No idea what that is. Oh, because the Franklin Expedition is pretty cool. In 1845, the British government outfitted an expedition to kind of explore the Northwest Passage and figure out, like, you know, explore the last part of that and finally have all of those weird Canadian islands mapped out. Now, the Northwest Passage is us getting to Alaska? No, the Northwest Passage is kind of a mythical thing that, thanks to global warming, is real now. Is it the land thing between, like, Russia and Alaska? No, it's just basically an overwater route to go from, like, Europe across to Asia without having to go around South America. So it's basically a shorter way to get across North America. It was a water passage that... They thought it would exist, but it didn't, even though it does now because all the ice melted. You would never believe that history was one of my favorite classes in school, would you? No. I, I loved it, and I, it was my favorite thing to teach as a theater teacher, even more than normal theater stuff. But I learned the same things year after year. Go on. So, Sir John Franklin, who had led three other expeditions by boat into the Arctic trying to find the Northwest Passage, was commissioned by the British government to do this. They outfitted two ships— the HMS Erebus, which is named for a dark region of Hades in Greek mythology. Okay. And the HMS Terror. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. So we're off to a great start. So if I was to write my own opera, I would call it that. Like there's already, you've, you've seen HMS Pinafore. Yeah. Now we bring you HMS Terror. It's part the thing, part <laughs> Rodgers and Hammerstein. It'll be great. Or- oh. Our cat was politely sitting behind our curtain behind us, and he would meow and ask us to please let him in. Ignore that cat behind the curtain. Come here, buddy. Oh, he's going to purr, and it's going to pick up on the mic. You have to understand, this guy, he's the sweetest thing. 
He is also 19 pounds. He's a chunk. Not his fault. He's he's disabled, and he came in from the streets that we were working on it. Yeah. So where was I? So these bo- these ships were both built around during the Napoleonic War, but they had been refitted with state of the art steam engines. That not only were going to like you know move the ship if they got calmed, but it also had a water distillation system to give them drinkable water, and heat the ship because it's cold. Okay. So they. Now, remember, I talked about that. They also, like, modified the rudders and armored the sides so they could push through the ice. They also had 1,200 books in the library on these boats, three years of canned food, that is 14,000 cans of food, which, by the way, they... Uh, That's another, like a week. Another thing to remember, these were awarded to a last-minute contract on the cheap, and a lot of the work was pretty sloppy on soldering these cans together, which comes up later. Gross. So there were 129 people on board, there were two tons of tobacco, and 2,000 gallons of liquor. <laughs> so these guys knew how to party. They did. They were British. And this was like peak Victorian British, too. So it was like, oh, well, oh, not quite Victorian yet. I don't remember when Victorian is. What year is this? 1845. So this was before our prohibition, though. I was like, that would be an yep. awesome snub at us if it was yes. prohibition. So this boat, it sets off the, this expedition. It is last seen on July 26th, 1845, by a whaling ship in Lancaster Sound. This is the last reported sighting of these two ships. What happened? Kraken. So two years go by, and they haven't had contact from these guys. And the British government wasn't worried because they had three years' worth of canned food. What's the worst that could happen? They're (laughs) not going to— They're not going to—they're not dead yet. They can dance and they can sing. Yep. Jane Griffin, also known as Lady Franklin— Franklin's wife, his second wife, knew they only had three years of rations and began pre- pressuring the government to actually like do a rescue operation for them and try and find them. Because if they were trapped in the ice, they would run out of food very soon and they would probably die. They, at first, they had no interest in doing this, but it was like it became the hashtag viral campaign of 1848. Is hashtag viral a thing? No, but this was very much, this is like no one cared. But then it went viral. This was like the old-timey version of viral. So they offered a 20,000-pound reward. And this is in like 1848 pounds, which that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money for help like finding the Franklin Expedition. They even There was even a popular song at the time that was Lady Franklin's Lament. So <laughs> this was like the, the We Are the World, but it was This White Guy Has Gotten Lost. That so, will be in HMS Terror, the opera. HMS Terror, the opera. This white man is lost. <laughs> By 1850, uh, 11 British ships and two American ships were searching the area. This was like two years after they would have ran out of food. So they probably dead. But they finally find the first signs of this expedition when they find three graves off of Beachy Island in Canada, which is like way up there in the icy parts. My hand gesture is very helpful in this format. <laughs> They had a lot of these naval expeditions that didn't really do anything. Fun side note, the Resolute Desk in the White House, the one that's been used by almost every president since Carter, was actually a gift from Queen Victoria to America, made from the uh, wreckage of a horrifically bumbled rescue expedition expedition for the HMS Terror and the Erebus. This guy came in with four ships, wrecked three of them almost immediately, 
and they were foundering on the fourth one when they got rescued by an American whaler. So he got court-martialed and was acquitted, but he was like a bumbling idiot. When they finally recovered the HMS Resolute, the queen made some desks out of it and gave one to America as a gift. So every time you see the president on television, remember that his desk is made out of a sinking ship piloted by a moron. So they didn't find much by sea. Eventually in 1854, they declared them dead. They did have a lot of luck with overland expeditions, though. They found a boat with supplies. They actually talked to the Inuits who lived in the area, and they say, yeah, we heard about a bunch of white people dying over by the black, mouth of the Black River. This was widely ignored, but they wrote it down. And on King William Island, which is up in way northern Canada in the tundra, where, like, nobody lives, really. I did a fifth grade diorama on the tundra. I made a polar bear out of clay. <gasps> there were probably polar bears up there. This was polar bear territory. I think it was the tundra anyway. That sounds right. Yeah, this is, like, not even Santa and his elves territory. This is, like, bad places. On this island, they find a rocky, like, you know, a cairn. Cairn? Like a, a pile like, of rocks. C-A-I-R-N? Yeah. Cairn. 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 They, there's a dog. That's the only reason I know it. Cairn Terrier. Oh. I will now remember that. They find this, and it has a couple of letters in it that says, we've abandoned the ships, and we're going to try and walk south with, like, the surviving hundred or so guys. And a couple of graves. Again, they find some artifacts. They find some more graves. They find some bodies. And mostly what they find are these reports from the Inuits that all these guys died. It's like, guys, we told you. You should have listened to us the first time. I know. It's like, it would have saved so much work and we wouldn't have a really spiffy desk in the White House. They were all declared dead in 1854. It was a bummer. And this was just kind of widely forgotten until the 1980s when a bunch of Canadian researchers and archaeologists in Edmonton decide they want to go up and find the artifacts from this expedition and get a better idea of what actually happened. So they do. They go up to where this like site was and they try and retrace their steps. And they even get permission to exhume some bodies from these graves Okay. to figure out what happened. And I'm going to show you a picture. Nothing says podcasting of like these images. ice mummies. You can look this up because these are amazing. Oh, wow. I think I've seen these pictures. I just didn't know what they were from. Yeah. They are shockingly intact. This guy looks like he just needs to get rehydrated and he'll wake up. Yeah. They're mummified, so like they all look like they're real happy to be there. See, I think they all look like they're really annoyed that you're taking their picture. Uh-huh. It's, it looks like your passport photo. This guy looks exactly like Jack Sparrow, though. Oh, yeah. Podcasts. The best <laughs> visual media. So what should they Google for this? Oh, just, just look it up. Just look up ice mummies. Franklin Expedition Mummies? Franklin Expedition Ice Mummies. <laughs> How hasn't that been done in Supernatural yet? Oh, Ice Mummies? That'd be great. It's like, oh no, these mummies are cold, Dean. Why is Sam Southern? I'm he's, bad at accents. He's from Lawrence, Kansas. Pew, 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 accents. Yeehaw. <laughs> you only get a flatter accent in, I think, Nebraska. We don't talk about Nebraska on this podcast. They have the best zoo. They do have a great zoo. It made zoo. me lose my fear of birds. And it it made me lose my fear of toddlers. Mostly. I'm still terrified of babies. So they, they get up there and they dig up these ice mummies. They didn't find many of the bodies on the first expedition. But on the bodies they examined, 
they found that their bones were pitted, which is from scurvy and vitamin C deficiency. So they were starving to death. Austin always makes fun of me because he thought I was going to get scurvy while I lived alone because I can't cook. And did you get scurvy? Yeah. No, I can make macaroni and cheese. They found some signs of cannibalism, like just like tool marks on bones. You can't blame them after a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because even like, again, the Inuits also reported these guys were eating each other. They were cannibals. So I'm curious, were the Inuits like people today with their iPhones just getting them out and being like, look at these dudes? Or did they they find them later? I think they just found them later and the crap they left behind. Because they even get into it. Because these were sailors. So when they set off from the boats, they didn't know what supplies they'd actually need to survive inland. So they found they were dragging a rowboat behind them that was filled with, it had some books in it, some scented soaps. Same. Which actually does make kind of sense because you can eat soap. Yeah, that's Which true. they probably were doing at that time because they were starving to death. And they also found really, really high levels of lead in their bones. Roughly 20 times higher than what they would find in, like, bones of other people of the era. Now, there is some doubt now about, because of these 1980s findings, about whether it really was that high and there's some isotope and concentration things <coughs> that some scientists are saying. But they all agree that this lead poisoning is not what killed them. But it would have been enough to impair them and compound the pneumonia and tuberculosis that actually killed them. And the Wendigos and Yetis. The Wendigos and... Well, they became the Wendigos because they were cannibals. Oh, that's true. Yeah. When they were searching, they found thousands of discarded cans in the area because they were eating canned food. The soldering on these cans was so bad that the lead solder was contaminating the food. And a lot of the cans, they think, had failed before they were even ate them because they were so poorly soldered to begin with. So a lot of their preserved food spoiled. I wonder if the books and the soaps were also in case they needed to trade. Yeah, maybe. When I, when I read um, some stuff about Lewis and Clark, they talked about bringing things like that so they'd have them to trade with the Native Americans as they mm-hmm. crossed the country. And I assumed that they knew that there were Inuits out there. Yeah. They were dragging, like, a rowboat full of it. So they were getting tired and exhausted. They didn't really know what they were doing, and they were lead poisoned. So you're saying they weren't doing CrossFit? They were not doing CrossFit. Okay, if you're ever going to go on an expedition that you might end up having to pull a rowboat, make sure you do, like, at least six months of CrossFit Oh my god, did my research just prove that CrossFit has a purpose? Only if you're going to be crossing the coldest parts of the world while dragging a rowboat. Okay, I guarantee you, now that we've said this... There's going to be some, like, bro in Northern California who's totally going to do this. I'm actually surprised there's not some kind of Franklin Expedition races now. That seems like something people would do. Like, we run marathons because of that. Okay, it's still a crazy remote area. And, like, these expeditions started in 1981. And they were going on through the 90s. And they didn't find a ton. They'd find bodies. They'd found graves. They got permission to dig them up and do this stuff and research this they realized that these steam engines and these water sealing things, they weren't actually built for ships. They were retrofitted from, like, train parts. And they figured that a lot of the water they were drinking was badly contaminated with lead. They found more evidence of cannibalism because they found bones that had been broken open for their marrow. And a lot of them had what they called pot polishing, which is from when they were boiling these bones to get stuff out of them. They were stirring them around. They were rubbing against each other on the sides of pots. 
and it kind of polished the edges of the bones. Oh, how sad. They call it the end stage of cannibalism, where they were so hungry they are having to crack open the bones of other people to try and survive. I mean, these guys were clearly smart and knew enough of what they were doing to know how to do that, but I'd imagine they didn't know how far they'd have to go. They probably didn't know where Mm -hmm. they ended up. They knew roughly where they were, but they had gotten trapped in the ice for a year and a half Mm -hmm. before they finally decided to abandon these ships and try and make it across land to hopefully any type of shelter. You know what the worst part is? They probably were waiting because it's kind of like your parents say, if you get lost, stay where you are and we'll come find you. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they were probably waiting for someone to come find them, trusting that they would. But this is another interesting thing. Around 1990, David C. Woodman, who's a historian researcher, starts looking through all these Inuit accounts and trying to figure out what these guys did. And he determined a lot of the initial findings made by these overland expeditions in the 1840s might have been a little wrong just because they based them on that letter they found and didn't do anything else. He doesn't think enough of the guys' bodies and remains were found for them to have actually done this big overland expedition. He thinks a lot of them either stayed with the ships or came back and tried to sail them south and hopefully like get out of the ice some other way. Is there any evidence of what would have happened to them or is this just a yeah, theory? There is. So in 2014, they find the wreck of the Erebus kind of offshore where they found those letters. It was in about 11 meters of water, so not very deep. But they found it. It was in pretty good condition, considering it was a sunken ship. In 2016, they find the wreck of the Terror, much further south. I'm just imagining this is like ghost ship now. It is. They I don't exploring... mean a ghost ship. I mean like the horror movie Ghost Ship. That's such a bad movie. Of course I've seen it more than once. I think I've seen it several times. I mean, the opening scene where everybody gets cut in half, pretty awesome. That's the most memorable part. That's the only memorable part. Ugh. So they found the Terror way further south, which... Some people think it just drifted in with ice and got there, but it does support Woodman's theory that they did try to sail this boat and that some of the people might have been alive as late as 1851. And when did this all happen? 1845 to 1851. Oh, those poor people. Yeah, this was a big disaster. People wanted to know what the hell happened to this expedition for a long time. So they finally find the terror in 2016. But this is another interesting thing. So they're doing analysis of these bones and these artifacts they've found. And one researcher has found in some samples and bodies that some of these some of this DNA lacks a Y chromosome that they're analyzing. Now, there's a few things that could have happened with this. It was not uncommon for women to be serving on these ships, though not in a military role. I was actually going to ask you if that one mummy on the left was female. It was not. That... They just had fancy hair. Oh, okay. That either these are female people serving on it that the DNA had become so degraded over time that the Y chromosome wasn't showing up because it had just been like destroyed by age. Or, this is the best part, that there might have been women disguised as men serving in this expedition. It's not likely, but it's also not impossible. So, take that with a grain of salt. They also more recently determined that one of the bigger killers was not the lead poisoning, but it was their zinc deficiency that was causing a lot more problems than, like, anything else. I think that's one of the supplements I've had to take in the past. Yep. So kids, eat your zinc. Is that in pennies? Yeah, it is. So kids, swallow some pennies. <laughs> I did that once. I, I, feel like, I, <laughs> I feel like this is another point to reiterate that nothing in this podcast should be used in anything that you want to take seriously. Yeah, kids, do not use us to study for exams or for medical advice. Especially not for medical advice. 
I can tell you, even when you're about four years old like I was, it's super embarrassing to deal with the aftermath of swallowing a penny. Or getting a penny stuck up your nose. (laughs) I sure hope you guys could hear that. He's adorable. So, are you ready for some questions? Yes. All right. Will the fact the expedition set out in 1845 be on the test? Yes. Will the pot polishing of bones be on the test? Probably not. They might mention the cannibalism, but they won't mention the details. Will the fact that they brought 2,000 gallons of liquor with them be on the test? Actually, probably yes. That's a good hook. But what about the two, pound, the two tons of tobacco? Yeah, but actually it's probably more likely than the liquor because that was so historically important. I don't think they'd mention the tobacco because, like, you can't even show people smoking on TV anymore. No, but when we talk about U.S. history from around this time, we do tend to talk about the tobacco But farms. this isn't U.S. history. This no, is but British history. We're talking about, I would assume, mostly taught in American history classes. Yeah. And I really hope you all can hear our cat. With the curtain there, he thinks we left. He can just hear us, but he can't see us, and it's making him sad. Hi, buddy. And final question. Will the fact that the president's desk is made out of a wrecked boat that was captained by an idiot be on the test? Probably not, because I didn't even know that desk had a name. Yep, the Resolute Desk. Hi, buddy. I really think the Resolute Desk was just kind of a very subtle jab. Or it might have been a serious thing because we did rescue them. Yeah, didn't we rescue them after that dude they sent to rescue them failed over yeah. and over? So it's worth pointing out that more ships were lost in the rescue expeditions than were lost in the expedition. Like This this feels like, you know, kind of a spiteful thing towards that dude, actually, not towards us. It's like taking somebody's first place trophy away when they misbehave and giving it to the second place. Oh, there was another little fact that I didn't write down because I just read it like a few minutes ago. Don't move your chair back. He's right there. Okay, I won't move. Apparently, they were on the north side of this island, which gets choked in ice for like, and won't even melt the summer. If they had gone around the south side of this island, it even remains largely ice free in the winter and is navigable. That's all really sad. Yeah. It really goes to show how much of a difference one choice can make. And it's not even like, he didn't make a wrong, it was the wrong choice, but he didn't do anything wrong with making that choice. Yeah, that's kind of one of those things where it goes into the whole parallel universe thing where if Mm -hmm. he'd gone left instead of right, there's probably a whole world in which they... But there's did, so many of them, they would have changed a lot of the population in the end. But we wouldn't have, but we wouldn't have had our um, soon-to-come-out opera, the HMS Terror. HMS with the, Terror. With the hit song, Lady Franklin's Lament. All right, so what is something you learned today about the Numakie or even just Roman history? They built a lake and an island to make 3,000 people kill themselves in boats. And once 19,000. That's the biggest one. That's crazy. It's like the normal expected Roman extravagance. Then there's this. Once you put like numbers, they had to do this to even do this. Nuts. The Romans were something else. They really were. What did you learn? I learned that the Franklin Expedition exists. (laughs) Yeah. I learned where the White House desk comes from. And now that I know that, I really love the fact that there are pictures of presidents like Obama with their feet up on it. Yep. I mean, they were made out of, like, deck boards. That's where his feet are supposed to go. Oh, guys, we 
are so tired this week. Ugh. Uh. This whole thing went a little off the rails, but I think you got a better idea of our uh, our dynamic and our personalities today. Yes. We've tried... I think we've been nervous the first couple of times. Which is weird because all we do is talk. Yeah, I talk to him when he's trying to go to sleep. He really, really hates it. And I talk to her when she's trying to not wake up in the morning, so it evens out. So today you kind of got a better idea of everything. I'll be editing out as many of the... We actually wrote them down. Um, uh, okay, like, so, and anyway. And I really probably should have put up my, like, uh, guys and totallys and yups. But they came out a lot anyway. I'm going to edit out as many as I can. But in the future, I feel like you'll have those to look forward to and hopefully can make a game out of it for yourselves instead of being horribly annoyed by it. Well, and if you do make a game out of it, you will probably need, like, HMS terror levels of 2,000 gallons of liquor. And on that, class dismissed. dismissed.